You're listening to Semper Bellum, a podcast about war. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Tristan. As always, I'm joined by my wife and producer, Nikki. This episode, we also have a special guest. My friend and colleague, Thomas McCauley, is joining us from the UK. He's a technology journalist at The Next Web, and he recently visited the Ukraine for work. Uh, in this episode, we're going to discuss the war in Ukraine. As usual, I'll probably reference the war in Iraq and the U.S. war on drugs. Don't forget to point your browser to loveisafetish.com slash war. That's where you'll find our Simperbellum immersion guides. These documents are filled with images, videos, and links to enhance your listening experience. And now, a content warning. War is the epitome of horror. This podcast will engage in thoughtful discussions of topics related to war to include descriptions of violence and evil. We highly recommend you avoid or cease listening if such discourse makes you uncomfortable. And remember, our intent isn't to glorify or celebrate war, but to understand it. Okay, uh, Tom, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the podcast. You are our first inaugural guest, so we absolutely appreciate you coming on board. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, you recently actually had your boots on the ground in the Ukraine. Uh, and this was, uh, it was what, a couple months ago? Yes, it was the end of September, start of October. I was there for about six days in total. That's, uh, that, that is incredible. I've actually never been to Ukraine. I, I've been to a lot of different places in Europe. Uh, but Ukraine, I've never been to Ukraine. I've never been to Russia. I've never been to Belarus. Uh, I just, uh, those are places that I don't know if I'm going to get to visit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, it's certainly, now, had you visited Ukraine before the war broke out? I have not. And I think probably like a lot of people, particularly in the West, I was pretty ignorant about its history and even the conflicts with, with Russia until the full scale inv invasion began in February. So so walk me through this. You 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 were at work and, and decided, hey, I'm going to go to Ukraine to to write these stories before you you left what did you think you were going to see did were you thinking you were going to see like some saving private ryan stuff or or did you have any other idea of what was going to be happening yeah well, well when i initially had the invite my entry was via a tech conference which is amazingly still going ahead this year it was obviously on a far greater scale before the invasion but it's still the biggest tech conference in ukraine and when it was offered to me initially I had a little bit of trepidation, but when I did a bit more research, I was much more relaxed, primarily because it's in it was in Lviv, a city in the west of Ukraine that has been relatively untouched by Russian attacks to date. Okay, and uh, once you got there, uh, was it like you expected? It was. It was strange. It was a lot of it felt like. I mean, Tristan and I are both AI journalists. We talk a lot about this uncanny valley effect. And there was something kind of uncanny to me as well, because I was initially quite surprised by how much everyday life was going on. But there were these sort of subtle or, or less subtle interruptions that really exposed that this is a country at war, whether that's, you know, air raid sirens and having to go into bomb shelters occasionally, um, a real absence of uh working age men who had, who were in the army um soldiers patrolling the streets and a curfew 11 p.m but i think my, my first um sort of insight that this wasn't quite a normal country a peacetime country even to travel to was crossing the border and um 
yeah, that was very slow and intense. There was obviously huge security, both on the Polish side, which is where we were entering from, and on the Ukrainian side. But the most memorable aspect of that was we had a Belarusian passenger on our coach. It was about a six-hour drive, but it, then we had a few hours at the border as well. And we were held up for a very long time because Belarusians, as an ally of Russia, aren't generally allowed into the country and they questioned her for a couple of hours before, to my surprise at least, eventually letting her through. That, that's incredible. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a very similar experience. In my first experience with war, I was aboard an aircraft carrier. And when you're on an aircraft carrier, you're essentially on a floating city. Um, so it takes a lot of civilians to run an aircraft carrier as well as the, the military. Uh, so when I got into theater, I was in the Persian Gulf. I'm there for a few months. I go through shock and awe. <laughs> um, and uh, I find myself, I'm at a Blink-182 concert aboard the ship I'm stationed on during the middle of a war. It was very surreal, you know, to experience these things where we have celebrities coming to hang out with us while we're like conducting war ops. Um, so my experience with war was almost civilian-esque uh, at the beginning when I first entered the theater for the first time. Now that changed over time for me. I became uh, more exposed, obviously being active duty, uh, but I feel like it changed for a lot of the civilians who traveled with us. They saw things like you were just mentioning these little things that let you know that things aren't quite normal. Yeah. Did did you go through a further over the course of 6 days? Did you further, you know, start to see okay, this is not, you know, this is not peace. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I think the most impactful um, experiences of that were just from the conversations I was having with Ukrainians. There were, even though normally this event attracts a lot of media um, from Europe primarily, but across the world, there are very few this year for obvious reasons. So the vast majority of attendees and speakers were Ukrainian and just hearing the horror stories and how much it has touched every single person's life, life was pretty extraordinary i mean one story that stood out to me quite an interesting um seems to be quite common in ukraine the, the tech sector um since the invasion and since the conscription of men women have often moved into quite um um leadership roles at tech companies essentially because they're the only ones who aren't really being conscripted and I had a lot of very interesting conversations with women who had in their experiences since then. Most of them had tried to flee the country, um, at least the ones I spoke to. Uh, one I spoke to, she was in Kyiv at the time of the invasion, and she described like flooding, uh, yeah, tra traveling across the border at night, and she arrived first in Italy, and there were fireworks going off, and she said she kept getting flashbacks of the bomb attacks. And then, you know, I'd meet another guy who was the founder of a, a startup and a day after I was speaking to him, he was driving all the way to Kharkiv to deliver medical supplies to the front line. So it was really everyone had a story of how their lives had been affected, which was unsurprising, but it definitely hit home a lot harder when you were hearing it from the people that were affected by it. Yeah, essentially, you got to go to these people's homes and, and see the disturbance. Uh, how has that affected you uh, in the time, in the months since you've left Ukraine? Uh, how are you doing? Is it is it affecting the way you're sleeping or the way that you're, you know, maybe viewing things that aren't even related to the Ukrainian war? Yeah, no, I mean, I can't. There was definitely no sort of traumatic effects for me, but um, it's certainly changed the way like the way I feel about Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, and conflicts more globally. 
And I don't know, I'm not saying this to like toot my own horn, but um, I think like a lot of people wanted to sort of provide some support to the people who are really suffering. And now, because I have contacts there, I make some fairly small donations, admittedly, to people who are on the ground. And, you know, that's um, from a tech perspective, it's all, they all want PayPal donations because it's instant and um, or cryptocurrency payments, but they're slightly less reluctant about that for various reasons. So I think it's like, it's made me feel more personally attached to the country and the people. That's been a main impact, I'd say. You know, that's something I talk about is this particular war is special. It's unique in that, um, for example, I, you and me as journalists, just regular, regular people, <laughs> uh, we have more access to intelligible data related to the conflict in Ukraine than I had personally when I was in the Persian Gulf during the Iraq war with a top secret oh. military clearance. Um, it's just an incredible amount of useful, usable, intelligible data that the entire planet, all of us are dealing with this. We're seeing what's happening. You know, you got to see it firsthand and that 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 actual tangible effect it has on someone who sees war, even if you're not watching the bombs go off. Yeah. Uh, but the entire world, we're, we're five seconds away from seeing a video that was taken four seconds ago. Totally, uh, totally, yeah. I think another thing just sort of related to that subject that is very uh, conspicuous to me is how open the Ukrainian people and even government officials are about developments in the war how keen they are to share it with people that they view as potential allies of course well i think that has a lot to do with exactly what you were just talking about and that these people they need help they need money mm -hmm. um i'm reading today that you know with winter coming one of the biggest problems is they simply don't have uh enough energy to support the power requirements people in ukraine aren't going to be able to stay warm uh, and, you know, you, you discussed the refugees that are being being, you know, it's, it's almost like a slow refugee movement where they're moving from from line to line to line trying to find somewhere to go. Um, and that's not even counting the what are we at? Six thousand five hundred civilian deaths, two hundred thousand combat casualties. Yeah, horrific. Yeah, you say right now, it's sort of one of the contacts I made in Ukraine, she lives just on the outskirts of Kyiv. And um, I'm still chatting to her via WhatsApp. And she sent me a photo last week or sorry, week before last. Um, and yeah, it was a whole, uh, it was a total blackout where she was because of those energy issues that you mentioned. So yeah, it's really um, hitting them pretty hard at the moment, just everyday people. How surreal is that? You know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not exactly that far removed from, you know, dear Martha, the front line is going well. And now here we are like, click, here's a picture of how my home looks right now in devastation. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, totally. And I think, I don't know, I feel there's like a degree of guilt as a sort of Westerner or European that I'm kind of more attached to the Ukraine war than, for example, the war in Yemen. But there is something about the proximity that makes it feel more, I don't know, like closer to home, I suppose. And I suppose also because the, U the UK has had its own run-ins with Russia and, you know, chemical weapons being used on British land. So maybe there is something... Yeah, it's a bias that I feel a little bit comfortable about. I'm comfortable about, excuse me, but it's still like, I can't deny it. Well, you know, as, as a Brit, you're kind of in a, a very similar uh, cultural situation yeah. to I am as an American. 
in that, uh, you know, we have shared wars. We have the Iraq war that our, our countries, we were the, the, the two countries that led the coalition. Uh, we also have all the way going back to the allies. And so this shared history of bravado and warfare might give us a, a different perspective in that we're always at war. The UK and the US are always at war. <laughs> We've been at war. Um, and if it's not an official conflict, like conflict, excuse me, like World War II or the Ukraine war, where, you know, there's there's specific belligerence and there's these non-specified conflicts like the war on drugs. Uh, and the Ukraine yeah. has its own war on crime. The US has is, is got its own war on drugs. Plus, there's a global war on terrorism that the UK has been involved in. So, with that in mind, uh, you know, there's 32 ongoing conflicts, 32 ongoing wars yeah. in the world right now. We can't possibly, you know, spend all of our time uh, fixated on each of them, even mm-hmm. though, as, you, as you've seen in Ukraine, it's, it's, it's horror. It's absolute horror. You know, it makes you want to stop and just dedicate your life to helping people. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to deal with. Is that something you've experienced since, since you, you know, laid eyes on is that now you find like, you're going to go play video games this afternoon. Really? Like how that's what I'm doing with my time and people are dying. <laughs> yeah, totally. I definitely feel a lot of my, my free time is spent on pretty useless activities, but it's, it's quite hard still for me. I mean, maybe it's like, a bit of an easy way out I, I could be doing more but sometimes it seems it feels hard to know what you should be doing beyond I don't know I guess in our work we have an opportunity to expose some of the issues as journalists and then we can donate raise awareness but it still feels yeah it can make kind of like everyday activities feel a little bit pointless for sure and um you know for example I have survivor's guilt it's something I've um worked on and worked through since i left military service back in 2010 uh and with that comes a certain feeling of responsibility but there's also i call it the men in black idea uh, i don't know if you've seen the movie men in black yeah, but there's okay. a scene where uh the character played by will smith he's going bananas trying to save the world and he's like oh if we don't do this everybody's gonna die and he tells everybody you know we gotta run and they stop and they say hey you can't go telling everybody because there's always a something or another death ray about to destroy the planet there's always a an alien invasion about to happen and the only reason that people get to enjoy their lives is because they don't know about it. They don't, they're not constantly exposed. And, and there's Mm -hmm. some truth to that. There's always a war. There's always thousands of people uh, dying. And uh, if you don't recognize that the uh, only antidote for war is peace. And that these are things that we have to, as people accept. Um, I call it waging peace. And sometimes it's harder to wage peace than it is to wage war, especially for those who've been exposed to war. It can feel like peace is a waste of your time. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that's a perception we need to change. So you you do have uh, the ability to to write about it. As a journalist, you can you can expose things, and you have your work on writing about Ukraine is excellent. It's top notch journalism, and uh, we'll definitely get some links to your work in the immersion guide. But also you you know you're you're able to donate. Um, but but more importantly, I think over the long term, you're building these relationships, you're building these contacts. Mm-hmm. Is that something you think that going forward, even post-war, uh, is going to you know help you uh, as a journalist, as a as a as a worldly individual? Absolutely, yeah, and they're definitely contacts that I want to keep. And I think we're also um, maybe yeah one of the sort of few positive signs from this war, for positive things to emerge is as well as, as, although all the focus has been on like the horrors that are being inflicted upon Ukraine and frankly have been for like over a hundred years, we're also being more exposed to Ukrainian culture, whether that's 
some music that is getting more publicity because of the conflict or or in my perspective particularly seeing how strong the tech sector is there so i think i would love to um as a tech journalist focus on that a little bit more not just as a kind of like altruistic thing but also because it's really quite extraordinary what um the cap the tech capabilities of that country and the world individuals there and a lot of those are being um forged in war in some ways quite in quite dark manners like they're developing quite a strong domestic drone sector but um yeah which you know could maybe lead to commercial applications post war but is also building some probably pretty formidable killing machines uh, and, and of course that's the ultimate testing ground you've got uh, a, a country in ukraine that's having everything russia can throw at it thrown at it um you know the, it's a crucible through which technology is forged when we look back at things like radar and even automated weaponry uh, automation that started in world war ii uh and we can of course thank the british for radar who uh, one of the greatest inventions of all time was invented to keep uh, an enemy aircraft at bay uh during world war ii or towards oh. the beginning of it so it's it's fantastic to be able to take away something positive from a oh. war situation do you think there's anything else positive maybe that you walked away with uh besides the idea that you know you know the ukrainian people are strong and their technology uh, the, their music their culture uh but what about for you personally did you feel um like this was an experience that made you better or do you feel like this is something that maybe you wish you hadn't done yeah, no, definitely. I think um one that really stood out to me um was like the the importance of culture even during uh, times of war. Um, you know, for example, one of the things that really struck me was very soon after I arrived after I arrived, the um like young Ukrainian people and below fighting age, they would do these big nightly sort of sing-alongs together in the central square of Lviv. And there was like, there was a real joy to that, that I think can only be achieved through arts. I mean, a bit pretentious, but like, yeah, through music and all the forms of culture. There was also a band called, um, I'm probably pronouncing this incorrectly, and Antil, Antitila, I think. They recently did a collaboration with Ed Sheeran and they performed at this event. And they said it was the first concert that they had done since the war started, because they had also enlisted. And just like the joy that it brought to the audience, but also the performers, it really, really stood out for me. And how, like, yeah, those rays of hopes are still, still there. And I think they need to be embraced rather than seen as a distraction. That's amazing, and I think that's um, that that was my experience as well. You know, I talked about it a few minutes ago, watching a uh, a, a punk rock concert yeah. on an aircraft carrier, and here you are finding this amazing moment of joy in a war zone. Uh, that's something that I think is the perception versus the reality. I think the perception of war is skewed by the Hollywood image, and it's skewed by uh the this idea that, that that it's just this long period of nobility versus evil and, and that's not the experience of war the reality of war is that it's everyday people just trying to survive to the next day whether it's whether it's the warrior in the foxhole who's trying to survive so that the person next to them survives too or it's the civilian who, who who's trying to comprehend the magnitude of something that they had no control over happening to them and destroying lives and families it's still part of the human spirit to find these episodes of joy these episodes of 
wonderment and to take that away. I took away from Iraq this amazing culture. Uh, here we were with these people who, when I was when I was actually on the ground in Iraq, um, not only were they embroiled in the war on terror that the U.S. and the coalition had brought to them, but they were also embroiled in a civil war between uh, Muslims and Christians and, and, and fundamentalists and loyalists. So there was this kind of four-way just death square closing in on these people. And yet um, they were, they were still full of vigor. They, you know, we watched children play soccer, football. We watched, um, you know, we watched people cook and they treated the soldiers uh, who were occupying their land with respect and dignity. So I, I have a special place in my heart for the Middle Eastern people because I stepped off of a ship during a war and was treated with respect and kindness. Um, you know, and there's there's history itself still isn't ready to tell whether the U.S. and the coalition were 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 helping or hurting <laughs> during that particular war. And we've talked about that in previous episodes. But but I think uh, and as you can tell, I'm trying to wrap up. We're running pretty long. But I, I think my biggest takeaway from war, aside from the horrific side of it, is that the human spirit is undeniably more powerful uh, than than the than the culmination of all the aggressors in the world. We, we've made it through all the wars we've been through. The Ukrainian people will make it through this and uh, and we'll make it through the next 500 wars. Um, yeah. what, what about you? What, what's an ultimate takeaway that that you, you you keep with you after visiting the war? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. You just mentioned the perception versus reality issue and that really stood out for me because I was there for such a short period of time and I don't want to like... And I don't want to sort of presume that that was necessarily a fair reflection of the reality, because for one, I was at a, a big event that the Ukrainian people were really positive about because it was able to continue. So the mood was pretty buoyant. But then also, as I said, the, the time while I was there, there was no uh, attacks from Russia. But then days later, there were missile attacks because I, I was there during the time of the, the so-called referenda. So the um the yeah the sort of risks were escalating, and then just after I left, the same places where I had been days earlier had been hit by war. So hit by war. So that sort of perception and reality thing. It sort of to me what stood out was how fragile the reality or your perception of it can be, and how quickly things can change during a conflict. And and and. Sir, that is why you're such a fantastic journalist. You have uh, a, a keen understanding of these things. I, I, I talked about this a lot. The reality of war is that we cannot understand it. We are doomed. Right. We are simply doomed in our attempts to try to because there is a million different perceptions. Uh, and every single person who experiences war experiences it in a different way. Uh, uh, my experiences are not analogous to yours, and yours are not analogous to the people of Ukraine, and theirs are not analogous to the people of Vietnam or Iraq or Germany or you know, <laughs> name a country. It's 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 its soil is filled with blood uh, of warriors yeah. and civilians alike. Um, well, Tom, I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with me today to talk about these things. Uh, they're not fun, but I think they're important. Yeah, agreed. No, it was it was a pleasure, and um, yeah, really enjoying the series, and, and more generally, just um, I think we we talked about the potential to do some military coverage, which we've both done as tech journalists, and I think it's really been beneficial to me for you to be able to like impart your own experiences on how we cover those issues because they're so obviously sensitive to write about, but also so important. Yeah, it's um. Well, the one thing when I talk about this podcast, I'll never, ever, ever run out of content. You just don't. <laughs> but uh, but it is. It's tough to find the the line. For me, my bent is that I want to 
be able to talk about heroism and also villainy in the same context. War is evil. There's never been a war that didn't involve war criminals. So, you know, in, even today, news is coming out. Uh, the U.S. suspects that Russia has committed rampant war crimes to include targeting civilian power structures so as to prepare the civilians for war and surrender. Um, there's been systemic uh, evidence of torture and uh, of course, it's it's war, and that's that's what goes along with it. Um, so, so with all these things in mind, it's it's important that we do recognize the the human toll. Um, but I think the thing I'm going to take away from this interview and this conversation the most for this episode is that there is the indomitable spirit of joy that can be found even in war, and that's what makes us human, and and that's why we need to keep, uh, as I say, we need to keep waging peace. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that was probably my biggest takeaway from my brief time in Ukraine as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, um, Tom. I wish you and our entire Semperbellum audience fair winds and following seas. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, it is important to seek qualified assistance. In the U.S., call 911 if you need police, fire, or emergency medical assistance. Call 988 if you need to speak to a trained crisis counselor who can help with mental health-related distress. You can also text 988 to reach a mental health crisis specialist via SMS. If you are a veteran or are concerned about one, call 988, then press 1 to speak with a responder qualified to support veterans. You can also text 838 255 to reach the Veterans Crisis Line. If you have access to the web, visit www.ptsd.va.gov for the U.S. Veterans Administration's online resources related to PTSD.